0: In any worse to me, have to frequently stopped to cough. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we trust in it. And we lift it up as being infallible and inerrant and inspired. Lord, it may be spoken by faulty people who are sinners, but Lord, your word is eternal. And Lord, it will emerge and it will accomplish your work. To that end, we pray and trust in Jesus name. James chapter 5 is our text this morning. We're uh, working our way through. This is a two-part sermon. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 7 through 10 this morning. And I want to give you an illustration this morning that will, I hope, help you understand the, the setting or at least understand the theme of these two sermons. And in this illustration, difficult people that are in your life are the burros, donkeys or the burros. And you, your heart, is the steed or the wild stallion. John Killinger tells a story about the days of the great western cattle ranches. And here's the story. So try to grab hold of this imagery as he unfolds this true uh, method of taming a wild horse. <clears throat> he writes, a little burrow sometimes would be harnessed to a wild steed roped and tied together, bucking and raging, convulsing like drunken sailors. The two would be turned loose to be or to proceed out onto the desert range. And they could be seen disappearing over the horizon. The great steed dragging that little burrow along and throwing him about like a bag of cream puffs. And they might be gone for days, but eventually they would come back. The little burrow would be seen first, trotting back across the horizon, leading the submissive steed in tow. And Somewhere out there on the rim of the world, that steed would become exhausted from trying to get rid of the burrow. And in that moment, the burrow would be able to take mastery and lead the steed. Now, you remember, the burrow, and this illustration as I'm using it, Is the difficult people that are, that are in your lives. And our hearts, those wild and sometimes passionate and uncontrolled hearts that we have are the steeds. And why does God allow you to be surrounded by difficult people? Now think right now with me. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have difficult people in your lives? Maybe it's your spouse. Could be one of your parents, could be one of your children, rebellious. How about your employer, or coworkers, or classmates, or maybe even a neighbor that's just difficult. God puts difficult people in our lives; it doesn't take them out of our lives for a reason, and our aim is to find that reason and learn. How to develop the disciplines of patient people. You see, that's the way it is with the saints of God. You see, listen, the battle in Christianity goes to the determined, not the outraged. Listen, the committed, not the dramatic. It goes to the distance runner, not the sprinter. That's what it means to walk in the kingdom of God. And so James moves us from what we looked at last week, these persecutors, these wealthy, ungodly landowners, we looked at verses 1 through 6, he moves from them, listen, to the persecuted. He moves from the oppressors to the oppressed. And three times in this passage, verses 7 through 10, he uses the term brothers. You remember, he's written to the rich unbelievers of the church. These were wealthy, men and women who sat in the seats and the chairs of this church week after week, but they were not believers. And now he writes to the brothers and the sisters that are in those churches, and he's encouraging them to be true to their faith in the midst of suffering. And he exhorts them. Look at the first two words of verse 7. Be patient. That's a command. It's an imperative. He exhorts them. To be patient. Now, what does that word patient mean? In the Greek, it's a compound word. Like, like we have butterfly made out of two words. This is a compound word. Here's the two words. Long-tempered. So to be patient means to be long-tempered. But there's something more about this word that brings more clarity to this passage. Can you flip back to chapter 1 for just a moment? I want to compare something for you. (coughs) Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or in the King James and other versions, that word is patience. It means to remain under a trial. Do you remember that? Perseverance or patience means to remain under trial. Listen, without looking for the escape hatch. If you want to know what the word perseverance means in the Greek, it means to stand long under a trial. It's called holy courage remain under the trial, not looking for the escape hatch and trusting that God will bring you through it when he's ready. It's a refusal to quit trusting God. But back in chapter five, we have a different word. James uses a different word for patience. And it doesn't mean a patient endurance under a difficult circumstances. Get this, because this is going to bring the context of the entire passage, and probably most of you did not understand this until today. It doesn't mean endurance under a difficult circumstance. Listen, it means patient endurance under difficult people. That's what this Greek word means. It's an attitude of self-restraint that does not try to get even when wronged. See, James is encouraging these poor people in these churches, many of them farmers, many who are forced into day-laboring, farming the very fields that they once owned, now for the owners who are oppressing them. And you remember, nearly 40% of their income, which was very little, was taken up in taxes and in tributes. And they were in debts that they couldn't repay, and lands that they had to sell, and receiving wages at the end of the day, but many of them weren't even getting their wages. And despite barns being filled, despite harvest time being here, despite money being in abundance, the wealthy landowners were withholding the wages. And not only that, but listen to this, the wealthy landowners, now you've got to understand this from a church leader's perspective. These wealthy landowners were walking into the synagogues or walking into these churches and people who see wealthy people automatically assume they're godly people. And so they're moving them into leadership positions in the church who are teachers of vast influence, all because they have wealth. And some of them, friends, were not even believers so James, in the midst of all of this context, commands the poor to endure with patience these difficult people. Friends, listen. How do we develop patience with difficult people in our lives? James is going to give us six disciplines to develop, and they're all in this passage. We're going to look at three this morning and three next week. Here's the first one found in verses 7 and 8. Keep your eyes to the skies. Look at. Listen to this. Be patient, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You, too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Friends, did you know that in the New Testament alone, there are over 300 references to the return of Jesus Christ. That averages out to one in every 13 verses that scripture tells us Christ is going to return for his people. In all of scripture, Old Testament included, there's over 500 references to the the return of Christ. Friends, listen, that tells us that the return of Christ is a central and basic truth taught to us in the word of God. Yet listen, honestly it doesn't really factor into our everyday language. It's a truth and a hope that's kept fixed in the center of our thinking by God's word. But how many of us really think about Jesus' return daily? Let's even go one out of every 13 days. How often does the knowledge, the belief, the hope, the expectation that Christ is coming back for his church, how often does it motivate us Towards godly living. You know what? It should. Would you flip forward to 1 John chapter 3? Read this with me, if you would. Look at verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that here it is, when he appears. That's a reference to Christ coming back. Listen to this. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, we're not done yet. Look at the next verse. Everyone who has this hope, everyone whose hope of Christ's return inhabits their thinking and dwells in their character purifies himself just as he is pure. So friends, listen, hoping, expecting, believing, (coughs) excuse me, fixing ourselves on the return of Christ will go towards purifying our hearts. The word coming, look at what it says in verse 7, if you would be patient, then brothers, until the Lord's coming. That word coming means to return and be near. It was a common term in Greek. And it was a term that described the visit of a king to one of his cities or his provinces. Christ will return and he will be with his people. James is countering, now you've got to get this, he's countering the double-mindedness that is plaguing the early church. You see, people were saying, Jesus Christ, will not; he's not going to return for a long time, so we can live the way we want. See, this is double-mindedness, and this is why the book of James was given to us. Double-mindedness is when you pursue God and at the same time pursue the world, thinking that you can have both. And the book of of James was written to bring us into single-mindedness, where we have deep faith that produces broad, righteous living. Wisdom is a gift from God because it's a unifying, consolidating, focusing power to bring double-minded people to single-minded living. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is God's gift to make us believe deeply and live broadly. This is why James was written. And so James keeps this truth that Christ is going to return. He keeps it front and center into our thinking as we patiently endure difficult people. Friends, how often do we remember that the Lord's coming is near? You know, the truth is, and if you're honest with yourself and you ask people this question, you'll find that this bears out truly. Most of us really don't think of it. Here's even deeper truth, that when you ask people If they're longing for the return of Christ, some who are utterly honest will tell you there's trepidation and, and a loneliness that they feel. You know who really return, who, who longs for the return of Christ? I'm going to give you two people that long for the return of Christ. Those who suffer and those who are elderly. Most of the rest of us, if you're honest, including myself, You know what? I want to wait till my little kids get married. Lord, I want you to come back, but can you wait just a little longer? I've got career plans. We're mired into this world, and so the thinking that propels godly living of Christ's return is missing in a lot of Christians. In fact, if we were honest we would realize that the more suffering we have, the more we're going to long for Christ. Life had become hard for these Christians, and many in the early church, friends, they were reduced to misery. So he uses, James does, an agricultural illustration that these poor farmers could identify with. Here it is. Read with me if you would. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. In Palestine, the land of the Jews, they had two rainy seasons. They had an early and a latter. They had a fall and a spring. And without these rains, the farmers could not, listen, they could not even plow their land. Jeremiah fourteen four says, the ground is cracked because there is no rain in the land. Get this picture. The farmers are dismayed and cover their heads. They're going like this saying, how are we going to plant seed? For our children's bread, we can't even get our wooden plows to scratch the surface. It was the Philistines who brought iron to the Israelites. That's why they had to take their plowshares to the Philistines to get sharpened, because iron sharpens iron. But those poor farmers, many of them had wooden plows. you got to get three to four inches deep before you plant your seeds. And these sun-baked, grounded Farmers couldn't even scratch the surface, and so they were praying for rain. Rain came in the autumn, and it loosened the ground. It softened the ground so they could plow it. Then they would eagerly anticipate the spring rains once they planted their seeds, because the spring rains, which would arrive in March and April, would mature the harvest. But listen, here's James's point the farmer could not control the weather. They couldn't speed up the growth. They couldn't ensure that the rains came. Yeah, they might have planted their seed. And so many of these farmers, that was all their seed. Once they planted their seed, there was no more seed until after the harvest. But they couldn't determine, they couldn't guarantee that the spring rains were going to come. And so they had to patiently endure. They had to trust in the one who controlled this process. This is what James is teaching so James exhorts them for the second time look at your your scriptures be patient and stand firm. You know what that word stand that phrase stand firm comes means rather it means to strengthen the heart. Literally if you translate that it means strengthen the heart. Stand firm strengthen the heart because the Lord's coming is near james is saying let the nearness of christ's return be so fixed in your mind be so established in your heart that it becomes a motivation for godly single-minded living friends it means that we really do examine our lives And we really do discern if we're living for the world and living for God at the same time. We really do make decisions of repentance. We really do cut things out of our lives that are pulling us to the world. Because God wants to harvest righteousness. He does that in single-minded living. But somebody's a critic. There's always a critic in the church. And we've got to realize this was written in the mid-40s A.D., and now it's 2008, almost 2,000 years later. So how can James say that the Lord's coming was near? And how can we believe that the word of God is what I prayed earlier, that it's without error? How can it be near if 2,000 years pass and he still doesn't come back? <coughs> Friends, if this is your question, you can be comforted that you're not the first one to ask it. In fact, let's read it in Scripture in 2 Peter 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Here's our word, same one in James. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, let me let me explain to you something. The, the, the text says that a thousand years to God are like what? So how many days in God's perspective have passed since these words were written? Almost what? You see, if you're a mayfly, let's pretend you're a mayfly for a moment, and you've got 24 hours to your life, and you wake up in creation and you begin to fly because they fly immediately, and you're skimming over the pond looking for what food you can find to, to fuel your 24 hours of existence, And at the beginning, at the dawn of your life, you look down and there's a tadpole in that pond. And you're coming into the twilight of your existence, 20 hours have passed, 22 hours have passed, and you look down and you fly over that same tadpole and nothing's changed. And to a a mayfly, his whole life has passed and no change has come. But to a tadpole, transformation is about to occur. You see, friends, our perspective in the Lord's coming tells us that he's slow, that he's delaying. But from God's perspective, where a thousand years or like a day, it passes like that. He's not slow in keeping his promises. See, James is giving us a redemptive mindset. He's giving us a a perspective that goes up into glory and looks at God's happenings, God's workings from his view. And when we can do that, when we keep our eyes to the skies, we see that God's not slow. God is working patiently. God will come as a thief in the night. And 2 Peter says four verses later, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, since you are longing for his return, what was this? It was a new heaven and a new earth. Then make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. See, here's James point like Peter. Now, listen, it's not the length of time until Christ returns that he's focusing on. But it's the way that we will live from now until the return of Christ. That's what James is is focusing on. That's what Peter was instructing. Let the truth that the return of Christ is the next event on on God's calendar propel us, motivate us into living single-mindedly for that world and not this. Friends, are you stuck in your life with difficult people? Are you having to endure circumstances and people that are a trial? James says, keep your eyes to the sky and you'll develop a perspective that says God will deliver you. But you know what? The early church, they weren't doing this. In fact, look at what verse 9 says. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So James gives them and he gives us a second discipline that will develop patience in the midst of difficult people. Here it is. First one was keep your eyes to the skies. Number two, keep your ear to the door. Look at verse nine again. The judge is standing at the door. You know what the word grumble means? It commonly means to sigh or to groan. It's more about inner complaining than open hostility. What James is forbidding here, friends, is the unexpressed, get this, the unexpressed bitterness or smothered resentment that leads a heart toward becoming hard and turning away from God. James says, don't sigh inwardly. Don't look at that person with a critical spirit. Don't be angry at that person and drown it inwards because it's going to lead towards hardness. And Hebrews says, a hardened heart moves away from the living God. You see, living with difficulties, this is, this is true, isn't it? Living with difficulties can cause us to lose patience. And we complain against each other. We're not complaining against the oppressors. James isn't talking, don't grumble against those who are oppressing you, although you shouldn't do that either. He's saying, don't grumble against each other. Why? Because James says Christ the judge is standing at the door and about to enter the judgment hall. You know what that means? He's not standing at the door of your bedroom, listening to your grumble inwardly. It means that he's standing at the entrance to his judgment hall and he's about to come in and sit upon the throne of judgment. Do you remember that James started verse 1, or our passage this morning, rather verse 7, with be patient then? What's the word then do? If you're a good student of the Bible, you go back and see what it's there for. What it's there for is that James just told us, verse 5 and 6, that the Lord of hosts has heard and he's seen the oppression that we're going through. He's seen the difficulty of the people. And he's going to marshal his armies to defend them. The NIV calls it the Lord Almighty. The Greek says it's the Lord of hosts. It's the God who militarily will triumph. There's a misery coming on the unjust. There's a a judgment coming on the ungodly. But it will come from hands other than ours. There's a judgment coming for the wicked by God's own hands. And so maybe today they're living like a fattened cow, but there's a slaughter coming. That's a perspective, friends, that the Bible encourages us to develop, not to want their slaughter, but to know that God will hold the judgment for all of the unjust things that are happening So James says, endure under their difficult hand and know that God will vindicate its righteousness. But friends, most of us know that. Here's what a lot of believers do not know, that there's a judgment for the believer as well. And James moves us to this truth. You see, let me explain this. Trials and difficulties, they squeeze our hearts. Like you squeeze a tube of toothpaste and what's inside that tube comes flying out with the pressure. And what's inside our hearts, the sin, the evil, the resentment, the bitterness, comes out through grumbling and complaining, words and actions and attitudes. And oftentimes, as what was happening in these churches, what comes out is are all these unspoken complaints against one another, friends. Have you ever been in a church where it's filled with grumbling? filled with complaining, filled with backbiting, filled with slander. See, the church experiences hardship, rumors begin to fly, grumbling begins to happen, and all the while the judge, James says, is standing at the door ready to come in to the judgment hall. See, friends, grumbling loses sight of the nearness of our God who will judge those who complain, Philippians 2 says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in the crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. The judge is at the door and he will deal with the ungodly who do not care about justice. But the way we believers respond to trials will reveal the quality of our faith. Isn't that why Peter wrote in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief. In all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth and gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed that day again. Friends, listen. The unbelieving... They will face the judgment of God that comes from his wrath. Ought not that to compel us to evangelize and to share and witness? Even the sky and even the earth will flee from his wrath. There will be nothing for them to hide behind. There will be no excuse that will hold water with God's wrath. But the believer will be judged from God's mercy And when we stand before him, the things that we do for our own glory will burn like wood, hay and stubble. And the things we do for the glory of God will endure like precious metals. Patient endurance will mature our faith and it will prove it genuine. Friends, here's what Revelation 22 says. Behold, I am coming soon. The words of Jesus, my reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Do you grumble? Do you complain? Developing the discipline of remembering that God, through Jesus, is at the door of his judgment hall, and we ought not grumble because it will be judged. James gives a third one that we'll look at this morning, and we'll look at the next three next week. He says, keep your feet on the marked... Trail, verse 10, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So first, keep your eyes to the sky, keep your ears to the door, and now keep your feet on the trail. Friends, it's encouraging, isn't it, to know that hundreds and thousands of saints before us have gone through suffering and been able to demonstrate patience. They are examples for us to follow. Do you remember the writers, uh, the words of the writer of Hebrews? He says, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Do you remember the tradition of Isaiah and his martyrdom that the king and his army was coming to kill him? And he fled into the hollow of a tree. And the king and his army ringed around the tree. This is the Jewish tradition of Isaiah's death. And the king ordered that they take a saw and they cut it right in two while Isaiah was in it. So some were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with patience. Let us run with endurance. Let us run with perseverance. The race, what marked out for us, friends, hundreds and thousands of saints have already walked this path. How do you deal with difficult people? How do you stay under their difficulty? How, when they treat you so evilly, you develop the patience to keep your feet on the path. Suffering, James says, in the face of suffering, God preserved them in suffering, not from suffering. What's that word suffering mean? It's another compound word. Here's the two words. It means evil. And to suffer, all brought together in one word. So you couple this with James's word, patient. And here's what it means. It means to suffer the evil treatment from other people. Why did they suffer? Not because they deserved it. Isn't that a lot of our suffering? That we do something foolish and so we pay for it? They suffered because they spoke in the name of the Lord. You see, to speak in the name of the Lord is to be His representative and His spokesperson. It's to be His witness their faith in God produced righteous living and righteous living is always noticeable and visible. We have two young ladies in our own congregation who graduated from our youth ministry and are in college right now. And each of those girls either gave a speech or they wrote a paper that glorified God, and each of them received criticism and poor grades from their professors because the professors didn't adhere to their philosophy. So their grades suffered because of it. For them, for these girls to respond with self-restraint and to not grow resentful and bitter is to endure patiently in the face of suffering because they spoke in the name of the Lord. Amen? It's to be like Jeremiah, who though severely mistreated for the messages he spoke, he never retaliated. Or Stephen, who while being stoned in Acts for his testimony of his faith in Jesus and his teaching, he prayed while he was dying that God would not hold the the sins against his killers. Or even our own Lord's example, 1 Peter 2, when they hurled their insult to him, how would you do? When they hurled their insult to him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Friends, listen, we're almost done. Saint after saint, believer after believer has walked the path of evil treatment from difficult people and they've endured patiently staying under it until God delivered them. And friends, now it's our turn to be patient. Now it's our turn to look to the skies and to anticipate eagerly the return of Christ. It's our turn to keep our ear to the door and know that the judge is about to enter the judgment hall and our actions will be laid bare. And it's our turn to keep our feet to the path that thousands and thousands of patient saints have walked. Is it your turn to suffer? It's your turn to be patient. You know what's encouraging? It's if you are suffering because you are speaking in the name of the Lord, you know you're on the right path. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. As we digest these truths, Lord James is so clear. He wants us to be patient. He wants us to endure. He wants our faith. Lord, to grow and he wants our lives to be righteous and godly. But Lord, we have to take steps to make this so. We've got disciplines. We've got to develop in our lives. This doesn't happen accidentally. It happens because we intentionally pursue the disciplines that you have laid out in your word. So Lord, I pray that we would eagerly anticipate your return. Lord, that we would strengthen our heart and make it firm lord expecting every day that you will come soon and maybe today is the day and let that that thought let it empower us and motivate us towards pure and godly living lord i pray that we wouldn't grumble with each other when we go through difficult times lord let us not grow resentful of one another Lord, let us remember that you are about to enter the judgment hall and you are looking at our hearts. Our our hearts will be laid bare before you. Everything we did, said, and thought, Lord, will come into crystal clarity. And Lord, what was not of you will burn, and what was of you and what was righteous will endure, God. And that is our reward. And we will worship you with that. Let us be galvanized with that thought. And Lord, let us remember that this is a well-trodden path. Thousands and thousands of people, including the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has suffered evil treatment from difficult people. And he and they endured them to your glory. And Lord, it's our turn to walk that path. I pray that we would walk it well. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand. (laughs) Thank you, son. Somebody wants to go home. I don't blame them. I want to ask that uh, John Young, would you pray for us this morning? John's a, a good man whom uh, I figure if I keep asking him to pray, he'll eventually agree to come on the board. So no manipulation at all. <laughs> John, you're a good man. Would you pray and uh, close our service this morning? Amen.